0: My name is Dennis, believe it or not, and I am an alcoholic, believe it, period. There's a rumor around that some of the people in this room used to frequent bars. If any of you used to wonder who the hell that little guy was down at the end of the bar, take a good look because here I am. Alcoholic best pocket I don't want you to underestimate the little man down at the end of the bar. One of my favorite stories about the days of the 49ers. (laughs) Way out in the wild and woolly west, Two gun sheet went into the local saloon one day, fired off both of his sidearms, and said, Every son of a bitch in the place, get the hell out of here. And they all did. Except the little guy down at the end of the bus. Over to him, he said, You heard what his head didn't turn. The little fellow said, Yes. Yes, I did. My first ever lockup. Introducing me, Carl said that I have degrees from three universities. I've taught in 11 of them. But he said what is most pertinent, the thing that qualifies me to be here this afternoon, is that I am an alcoholic. You know, the universities I want to honor a man who has. In full share of degrees. They give him another one, and then in Latin, after that degree, they write causa honoris, meaning that this degree is given for the sake of honor. And so, in my, in my professional work, I am introduced, my degrees are read. I always whisper to myself the degree with God and His goodness and my fellow AAs have conferred upon me in the cause of honor. Genus Magneti, A.A. Palmper, well, Now I've talked long enough in AA. A. And on public platforms, to know anything you say can be used against you. So I want to say right away that anything I say this afternoon is pure McGinty, only my own opinion. And I hope, and I pray to God, that nobody here hears what I'm saying. Or even what I think I'm saying. But to somebody here is something he or she needs to do. I want to say right off, I'm a hand. I can't help being a hand. If I tried to be anything else, I'd be a phone. And in AA, we have no time for phone. So please accept me as the ham I am. I also want to warn you they say about me, you know, your trouble isn't that it's the first word, drink. Your trouble is the first word. And then I'm off. I remember the first time I talked to eight years ago, this month, in Washington, D.C., where I came in, I asked the young lady who asked me to speak, what do I say? She said, Oh, Dennis, just open your mouth and pour out the overflow of your mind. So now, for the next several minutes, while I pour out the overflow of my mind, you good people are privileged to listen to a drip. We've had a wonderful conference here the last three days. I've attended conferences all over the United States and AA meetings in several foreign countries. And I haven't attended anything any better.
1: The variety,
0: the depth, the simplicity and profundity of the things one hears. As alcoholics heed to each other. You know, I think that's about as good a definition as AA can be given. I have a priest friend of mine He told me he had a wedding at the church one day that afternoon in the Downs' the neighborhood barber shop to get his hair cut, and the barber said to him, Father, had a wedding over at the church today. You know, I used to know that young fellow that got married. He used to drink something terrible. Then he joined some kind of an outfit. All they his is talk. He never had straight
1: drinks. Look at this room,
0: Handsome people, and I stand here, and I'll bet lots of you who sit there are wondering, in this room, open to the public, who ones are the drunk? You know, that's important. I used to tell a story of the Yale School of Alcohol Studies when I was there about eight years ago. You know to that summer school of alcohol studies, there come authorities and alcoholism from all over the world, psychiatrists, psychiatric social workers, sociologists like myself, judges, lawyers, doctors, internists, clergymen, and there come as students, sociologists, psychiatric social workers, psychiatrists, doctors, lawyers, judges, members of Alcoholics Anonymous, representatives of the distilleries and breweries, representatives of the temperance league. The great and reassuring thing to me when I attended was, that if each authority on alcoholism or the alcoholic concluded his remarks holding to that group who were there he ended up by saying this is what I know about alcoholism this is what I know about alcoholism but after I've told you what I know and after I've done for you what I can do if you are an alcoholic the thing I say to you is gold to anything. Every
1: woman.
0: Well, they tell the story about the lady who represented the temperance league from somewhere up in one of the western provinces of Canada. And she came to the school, and after she'd been assigned her room in the dormitory there where we all lived, changed her frock, touched up her lovely white hair, she decided I'd better make a few acquaintances among these people with whom I'm going to spend the next several weeks. So she went out and she picked another lovely white-haired lady and she went over and introduced herself. She says, I am Mrs. So-and-so from Saskatchewan. I have a rose garden, I represent the temperance League." who, my dear, are you? The lovely white-haired lady said, oh, I am Mrs. So-and-so, alcoholic. Horrified, scuttled away. She picked another lovely white-haired lady and she went over and said, I am Mrs. So-and-so from one, rose garden, temperance me, who, my dear, are you? The second lovely white haired lady said, Oh, I'm Mrs. So-and-so alcoholic. And she was hollow. Came to a friend of mine, Atlanta, Georgia. And again she repeated her formula. on Rose Garden, Temperance Jeep. Who, my dear, are you? My friend said, Oh, I'm Daddy D, Land of Georgia, alcoholic. I don't believe. My dear, you've never been found now. Betty said that many of the people in this room could say this afternoon.
1: Oh, yes, I have. Way down. Way down.
0: Good to the friend of mine, to a picture. To an annual dinner of Alcoholics Anonymous Lunch. And the alcoholics came in with their husbands and wives and friends. Everybody all dressed up. And the bishop looked at them and he too wondered which ones are the drunk. And he said to the clergyman, How do you tell which ones are the drunk?" And the clergyman answered all that he, me, the happy. I was down south in the great southwest big five-state conference at AA a couple years ago, and a friend of mine, he's a banker in a little town out in Colorado, told me this story, this fool, he's been a banker in Denver and kind of drank himself out of the business. So he went up to this little town, and he thought he was the only alcoholic there, and he got looking around and he noticed that the PTA in town wasn't doing good, so he went over and talked with him, and sure enough... He was one of the brothers and they had a group. Pretty soon one of the doctors in town came in, a local lawyer, the local ambulance driver. Finally, he told me a young fellow, the doctor in town, came to him to borrow what we call the big book. He had a patient, he thought maybe this was his problem. He took the book home, decided to use it himself first. About halfway through, he slammed the shut. and said to his wife, That's my problem. I'm going to join. She said to him, You're not an alcoholic. You're just a social climber. I tell you, we're in. Well... Up there at Yale, one psychologist who came to the podium answered the $64,000 question. Well, it used to be 64 but we got inflated now. He told us why we are alcoholics. He said we are alcoholics because we have poorly implicated personalities. Now you know. It's as simple as that. But, he said, there are very, very few people, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, who have well integrated personality. That's why I'm quoted as saying to people when they ask me if I'm an alcoholic, Sure, I'm an alcoholic. What's the matter with you? and that brings me to the piece of what I have to say this afternoon it is my contention that apart from the first drink alcohol are just like everybody's health I sometimes think that we alcoholics ourselves are the worst offenders of forgetting? Sometimes we think we're kind of shackled with our problems. Kind of and of hot house power is sensitivity. But let's consider it a little. Before we do that, however, since we have guests here this afternoon who may not be too familiar with alcoholism and the alcoholic and the ideas. That we people live and that come to take for granted. I'd like to correct, or at least submit to your consideration, some alternatives to some of the ideas you may have in your mind as to what an alcoholic is. Certain stereotypes with which you've grown up, misconceptions that constitute the very stigma. In our culture against the alcoholic. If you were like me, back in the days when at one of the major universities I was teaching a course in social pathology and discussing alcoholism, I always did it in terms of alcoholics and skid rolls, alcoholics and the industry, alcoholics and the homeless. Alcoholics and sex. Alcoholics and crime. Alcoholics and the organic psychosis. These things represent a small percentage of the problem of alcoholism at its most set end of the chain. I used to think an alcoholic was always a man. He was this kid, low bones, asleep with papers inside his coat to cut the chilly wind in a forgotten doorway. He was somebody who just didn't care. Drank because he chose to drink. And I dare say this is pretty much the popular stereotype. In the minds of the people of the United States today. All these did is change in particularly since the growth of Alcoholics Anonymous, and now the Al Anon Family Group. How corrected? You. Your own Louisville paper today, this Sunday, quoted a Gallup poll which says there are 102 million adults in the United States today. of these people do not drink at all, 61,200,000 of them do drink of the
1: 61,200,000.
0: Approximately 57,000,000 some thousand drink and have no trouble. We who are concerned with alcoholism and the alcoholics are not concerned about these people. We're not concerned about the old problem of the wet and the dry, where the alcoholic was forgotten in the middle of the war. We are concerned about the four and one-half million people in the United States who drink to excess. Who suffer from the disease, the illness, the personality disorder of alcohol. Out of sixty-one million, you might say, why only four and a half million have this problem.
1: Mom. Only
0: four and a half million, mainly another illness in the United States, where there are four and a half million in the United States. And Diabetes, TB, name them all. Where do you have four and a half million sufferers? And all too often forgotten. Forgotten by almost everybody but their fellow (laughs) sufferers. And for every alcoholic, it is estimated there are at least four others affected by their drinking, at least. That gives you about 18 million people who are victims of this illness. That's the proportion of this world. Now, correction number two. Of the four and a half million Less than 15 percent, only about 12 percent, are found on Skid roll. Where are the others? They are the people in this community. They are in faith. They are in law. They are in India. They are working in Macy's bases. They are stenographers in offices. They are housewives and homes. They live in the apartment next to you, the house across the street, the farm in the next forty. And they are hidden sufferers. Eighty-eight percent of alcoholics don't square with this stereotype of the Skid Row. Oh good. Let this go on with progressive disease. And they may end it. I know a clergyman who had been sent to several psychiatrists and pronounced psychotic by those psychiatrists. And their recommendation was permanent care. And the fellow clergyman took him into A.J., and today he is the successful brother lover. And above all, happy pastor of one of the biggest churches
1: in Brooklyn.
0: I know another person who was head of one of the biggest churches in New York City, Park Avenue Church, who landed on the power of Sidwell. Shamans A.D. J.D. he said of one of the most taught churches in the South. Is it any wonder we alcoholics say as we walk the road, here but for the grace of God, go on. Does this square with your popular opinion of what is an alcoholic? Correction number three. In this, our fourth national health problem, You say the alcoholic is a weak character. He has no character. This is the one I get sick and tired of. There isn't an alcoholic in this room who hasn't shown all kinds of strength of character and willpower. Oh, he showed it the wrong way. He was trying the wrong thing. But what he did took willpower. There isn't an alcoholic who didn't exert every ounce of intelligence and willpower he had, misguided, mistaken, to get out of the poisonous rat race of alcohol. He hated himself. He was miserable. He was unhappy. He tried all kinds of things to get out of his problem. He changed from whiskey to beer, beer to wine. If he lived in the country, he moved to the city he lived in the city he moved to the country this is what we call a geographic treatment <laughs> he said I'll take every other drink I'll take every third drink time and again he resolved I'll never touch it again and this did take willpower and it took courage to so uplift yourself from the country to move to the city and start over to so uplift yourself in the city and move to the country and start over that's the one where you say what I need is fresh air and country milk. They, we've done these things. This took character and it took willpower. Sure it wasn't the right thing to do, but it wasn't weak. It wasn't characterless. That's another fault. Now correction number four, I think we need to distinguish in our minds among a drunkard, a heavy drinker, a social drinker, and an alcoholic. All four of them, And they're all different. We're inclined to think that all alcoholics are drunkards we're inclined sometimes to think that heavy drinkers are alcoholics. And if we don't drink at all, we're inclined to drink they're all the same thing. Now I've already said, 57 million people in the United States who drink are social drinkers. They can drink in the gives them no problem. Four and a half million who drink are drunkards, alcoholics, Heavy drinking. A drunker just doesn't care. He could quit if he wanted to, but he just doesn't care. A heavy drinker can quit if he wants to. He goes on drinking heavily and he can take it and work and deliver. The difference is that the alcoholic has to drink. He has to drink to go on living until something or somebody or some way of life helps him to stop. The alcoholic is marked by compulsive drinking, the loss of choice. Time and again he swears, "I never will again," and time and again he goes back. Now, then, even among alcoholics, the have to make changes. As Carl has said this afternoon, among alcoholics there are comparatively few who are what we call psychotic with alcoholism. There are others who are psychopathic personalities with alcoholism. The great majority of alcoholics are kind of anxiety alcoholics. These are the ones J.A. and its way of life, help. All the psychiatrists have told me, even the psychopathy, after some psychiatric counseling, can get along all right in it. Not all of them, but some of them. With selective, careful selection, certain of the psychopathic personality, with some psychiatric counseling, can get along all right in it. We in AA are inclined to feel that the 25% who don't make the grade, probably are this group. But as Carl has even then, if, if they believe, the rest of us AA in the omnipotence and the vitality of God's grace may also find out Too us nowadays in our secularized world,
1: we're inclined
0: to think that God is something, someone who abdicated or retired in the Middle Ages, and we have to look to something else for answers today. We in AA still believe in the vitality of the mercy and goodness of God. Well, for those corrections, let me go back to my thesis, but apart from the first drink, alcoholics are pretty much just like everybody else. I would define an alcoholic as a person who is mentally, morally, and physically ill. It's an old, old illness. Simon has an follow You know, in some of the societies of man, in his long million-year history on this earth, there were those in forgotten islands with the sea, forgotten forest places of time, where the alcoholic was a sort of demigod. I believe. Why? he heard voices and he saw things nobody else <laughs> maybe we were just born out of our signs but this is true when you go to Rome look at the Sistine Chapel Michelangelo's painting there in Noah's project it pictures the alcohol trying to make it into a boat
1: Way back
0: then. But Father Medicine used to give all of his patients uh, prescribe for all of his patients an alcoholic beverage because somehow it always made him feel better. And yet, Hardy two thousand years ago said that what they called it then drunkenness was a kind of insanity. In the law courts of the teachers, there is the record of a man brought before the judge for what they then called drunkenness. And the judge said, this man is not a case for the law court. This man is a patient
1: for the physician.
0: 2000. Believe I'm not wrong in saying that the first book on the illness of alcoholism was published in Europe in about
1: 1543.
0: Around 1800, over 150 years ago, a young man at the University of Edinburgh, which was the medical center of the world at that time, wrote his doctoral dissertation on the causes and therapy for chronic crumpties, which is what it was called then, And he wrote a therapy which is still good today. You know, ordinarily, between the time when China finds some sort of solution to a problem, and it becomes knowledge among the public, there's a cultural lag of about 20 years. But because of the blindness, the ignorance, and the stigma around alcoholism, it's been between 2,000 and 150 years. And we're still lagging. Well, I think it's because. For hundreds of years now we have made the mistake of keeping this tripartite food only one third at a time. Physically or mentally or more. But never all three at once. The alcoholics in this room went to doctors time and again and if they're like me, the doctors, with all honesty and best intention and to be helpful, just not understanding alcoholism, treated them physically if they were in person. They filled them full of B1 shots, gave them sedation, kept them in the hospital or rest home, restored, uh, took away the shakes, restored their nutritional balance, filled them full of vitamins. And then they said to them, as my very good doctor to whom I am to this day grateful, said to me, now, Dennis, hereafter, just take one or two, and then quit. <laughs> and most
1: doctors,
0: most doctors, to this day, still don't understand the illness of alcoholism. Hospitals don't. I had a doctor call me just last week before last about a man who had in his office. He said, he's an alcoholic. We can't treat alcoholics. He called the Academy of Medicine. And they said, send him to McGinnis, New York. Then he called me and said, we can't treat alcoholics. Can I send him down to you? I said, yes, do. The man came in. His wife was with him. His brother, a retired detective. He owns a store. He had two nice children. He didn't know what was wrong with him he's never been a thin drinker just accumulated through the years drank more and more and he was fat and he didn't feel well he was desperately sick what was wrong and the doctor sent him to me well I put him in the AA ward up at Knickerbocker, and he came down with pneumonia and was dying. out of the doctor's office because we don't doctors still grew do up too many of them don't understand the illness of alcohol. And when they do what they do know, they treat the, the illness only physically. And they send the alcoholic from the hospital or the sanatorium or of their offices back into the world from which this alcoholic came, still two-thirds ill, mentally and morally. Now, in the last several decades, we've had the great and wonderful therapies of psychiatry, for which, again, I am most grateful. But truthfully, and I'm not quoting McGinty now, I'm quoting the outstanding psychiatrists who have centralized in alcoholism, the traditional approaches of psychiatry will not work for the alcoholic. Specialized approaches have to be taken. Not necessarily a change in the psychiatric theory, but in the approach to the alcoholic. And that is why, for decades, psychiatrists have treated alcoholics and been unable to affect cure. The psychiatrist, too, specialize in alcoholism today don't say now look we'll not talk about your drinking we're going back to the traumatic experiences of your childhood with the alcoholic they start here and now with his problems as he is and where did they learn this Harry Tebow said to the American Psychiatric Association we learned this from AA contrary to all psychiatric conditions they started with the drinking which we said was merely a symptom of the illness and they're succeeding and we're failing. We must learn from them. An outstanding psychiatrist specializing in alcoholism, like Harold Lovell, Ruth Fox, uh, Dr. Thibault, who write on the subject, this is what they say, this is what psychiatrists must learn. That the traditional approach must be different with alcoholism. Is it any wonder that psychiatrists diagnose my clergyman friend as psychotic when they hadn't started with the approach which is necessary with alcoholism. A different approach. That's starting here and now. And he changed that. Say our job is to help you all we can and get you into a And so for decades we treated this Illness is 3 part illness. one-third again, only mental. At from the psychiatrist's house, or sanatorium, we sent the alcoholics back into the world, killed two-thirds ill, physically and morally. Those were the most patient with us. The most compassion has been our clergy. But they, too, treated this illness only one third at a the time. They said to us, the sins are forgiven you. Go and sin no more. And there isn't an alcoholic in this room who didn't leave. Such a confession is. "Resolved never again. Sincerely resolved. But he was still, though now morally still, physically and mentally still. And so the long history of the illness, a tripartite illness, heated only one third at a time. I would beg our psychiatrists to leave especially in psychiatry, their own brothers, colleagues, On alcoholism. Rubble, Fox, Hebold. I would beg the clergyman to read the great theologians right forward on alcoholism and see the difference between the traditional approaches and the problem of the alcoholic. And where did they learn these things? they learned it. They learned it because alcoholics. Abandoned in those back rooms of Uncle Ben. Despaired of by doctors and hospitals and societies, clinical psychologists, prayed for by persons, burned by the community, discharged by the employer. despaired of by the family, finally then found. All to their knees and into their feet and just chilled out of their own bitter experience. The twelve steps of AA retreat this six whole became arrested
1: alcoholic,
0: recovered alcoholic, and thank God, happy
1: alcoholic.
0: Doesn't so now your Louisville paper today says we need an ex-convict anonymous. The paper say we need a divorcee anonymous. We need a fatty anonymous. We need and narcotics, synonymous. That's alright, it's working. I'm sure our self-depth would work for any problem anybody wants to apply. We're concerned with the alcoholic. Physically, it is the first drink. I talked to a <clears throat> And I said, how come? You have other patients who on occasion drink and get drunk. But somehow they don't have to go on drinking until something or somebody helps them to stop. There must be something different about the alcoholic. Maybe there's something physiological. There are those, there's that school of physiologists who believe they'll still find out there is. Great research is going on all over the country, all over the world. I talked to a group of psychologists once at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and I said this. I submit to you, gentlemen, that in the many combined years of your clinical counseling, there have come to you many non-alcoholics who were just as psychologically immature, just as emotionally unstable and overly sensitive as many of the alcoholics to you. and even more and I'll submit that among them there were those who on occasion drank and on occasion got drunk but they did not have to go on drinking until something or somebody helped them to stop I said to a group of clergymen, I submit look to you Pastor. that in the many years of your combined pastoral counseling there have come to your closet and to your confessional many non-alcoholics. More involved. More and more of these weeks than many of the alcoholics to weak. And among them were those who on occasion drank and on occasion got drunk. But they didn't have to go on drinking until something or somebody helped them to stop. Apart from the first drink, but somehow the alcoholic sets up a need to go on drinking apart from that first drink. Alcoholics. Look at them in the room about. I know this. Psychologically or morally from anybody else. Except in this. That they're ill. Was so none, so messy, so
1: discouraged,
0: so deceiving, that finally abandoned by community and all, they looked in the mirror and said, We've got to be something," And they did. God heard. Because they cried, hey profundus, come out. From the depths, they cried, help. And the answer is AA. We are indeed the happy ones. I have heard it described in AA as a brotherhood of the second chair anybody in this room who on many occasions hasn't said oh, if I can only do it over it I only have another chance and that's what we've got a second chance second chance it says
1: don't take the first I take
0: care of the physical take
1: it easy First things first,
0: the mental. Turn your mind and your will over so the God that you understand. Increase your daily conscious contact. That
1: take care of the earth. That increases
0: the patience hey. We have 12 steps. And an escalator. you you don't get down at the bottom and ride to the top all at all. You climb them carefully and slowly, 24 hours at a time, all the rest of your life. But they need help in, what? in I remember when I was like Rice in college, I wrote a math down there. It had a horrible title. of the called Maxim. On the relativity of purpose or the neutrality of matter, isn't that awful? So all it meant was this. This was the as a maxim. The, the, the maxim was simple. It is in the strange nature of a stairway that it leads both up and in or down and out. Our 12th check is our stairway. We know. And we are in this room and all over the world a This is food. And in the relativity of our purpose. We embrace
1: this problem.
0: We can climb it up and in the fire drawn as a sanity and the hope of eventual silence.
1: peace of the soul.
0: But we also know as ourselves at the night. But we have brothers and sisters still in exterior to whom we must carry the message, who even in this hour are going down and out, and some of them may be in this room now. Some of them are home in Uncle Ben's back room now. And a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or an employer is in this room now to find out what he can learn to help.
1: That's
0: why we invite Jesus. Well... Here it is, Sunday afternoon, February 19th, the room is full, including our 5th State Kentucky AA Conference. We invite you all here, the public, relatives, friends, loved ones, the community at large, and just like alcoholics, what do we do? We get up and talk about ourselves. Therefore, I'm
1: wondering.
0: If my alcoholic colleagues in the room would mind if for the next few minutes I were to step out of my personality as an AA and into my professional role as a social psychologist and see if there's anything we can do about these poorly integrated personalities who have only one head. (laughs) We've got our problems. We've got our problems. And there you are with your poorly integrated personality. Suck with it. (laughs) Now, mind you, you may say you don't have any problems. And there's the difference between you and us. Alcoholics have to be honest with themselves, or they ain't going to get well. Now, what do you think alcoholics were looking for? They were looking for the same thing that all human beings look for, an escape from pain. Pain.
1: They were looking for pleasure.
0: I don't mean pleasure in the self-indulgent sense. I mean in the sense of well-being. possibly because of some physiological susceptibility, the intake of alcoholic beverages, in a painful world they couldn't save. They found this as an escape from pain and a kind of a dream world of pleasure. they thought. This is what all human beings are looking for, an escape from unhappiness to happiness. Oh, how about
1: you people, you uh, other people?
0: Well, I looked back through my notes, and I found some brief report on an old study about how to be happy. This has to it has nothing to do with alcoholics. has nothing to do with alcoholics. It was done by a social psychologist named Hanel Hart, Dr. Arnell Hart at Duke University. I think even before the beginnings of AA. And it was an effort to find the scientific answer for human beings. And may I remind you that especially the AA that we are human beings too. We have headaches and corns and all kinds of things like other human beings. Now this is the way science went about. Got a group of psychiatric social workers, and they interviewed thousands of people who might be called happy people, psychologically mature, emotionally stable, happy. And they set down all the reasons these people gave for why they were why they thought they were Then they went through and they selected out those reasons given which recurred in all of us. Each person has unique reasons for happiness. So when something everybody
1: says recurred
0: and recurred they said this must be one of the keys to happiness. We'll set this one as high. Then we interviewed thousands of what we may call unhappy people uh, psychologically immature emotionally unjust and they get unhappy people. And they set down all the reasons for it. Now, people all have their unique reasons for unhappiness. So they selected out those that curd in all of them. And they said, these must be the keys to unhappiness. Now we'll put these together, and we'll have a scientifically arrived at answer for how to be happy, how to avoid unhappiness. After all of those interviews, how many, he, three times, said, you think they found? Nine. Amen. We got twelve, that ain't bad for two heads. So briefly, for the sake of our guests, with the indulgence of my fellow AA, I'd like to see what we should say for you people, so you too can have a second chance to integrate your personality. Number one, mind you, this has nothing to do with alcoholism or alcoholics. This is about human beings. Number one, shun suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge has been found to pull down happiness levels an average of 50%. Now, those of you who know a little bit about AA know we do an awful lot of talking about not sharing grudges or resentment. Oh, I think you can have a resentment Get it out, get it out of your system, forget about it. Don't nerf it. But it means the human beings do this. Not just the alcoholics. And that it pulls down their happiness fifty percent How many in this room are still resentful? The days when the alcohol before the alcoholic in AA how many in this room are still resenting that other woman in the church guild the neighbor who did this every moment he spends preoccupied with some bitter resentment is a moment he could be spending being grateful to God for some happiness well number two live in the present and the future twenty-four hours at a time. Summary, this has nothing to do with AA or alcoholism at all. It's just science talking to human beings and saying, here's what you do if you want to be happy and avoid unhappiness. Most unhappiness, most of it, stems from an unwholesome preoccupation with our own mistakes and failures of the past. These are important only as our passport to a better and wiser today.
1: Forgive yourself. Please.
0: This is as vital to your happiness as forgiving others. I know but this is one of the toughest things in AA. For alcoholics to learn to forgive themselves for the past. But it seems that human beings have to do this too. And if you are honest as we must be honest, it means that you in this room, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, Have this problem. Learn to forgive yourself. Fight off.
1: Pride. Pride.
0: Fight. Forgive others. Explain oh, I understand how you could have done that. It's gone. It's past. It's over with. I know how it happened. I can see these things. All of us do this. And then we retreat within our own little cell of pride, and we can't forgive ourselves for the same thing we forgive somebody else. No, beautiful me couldn't do that. Sure, that harmless, poor soul could, and I forgive him. But, gorgeous, beautiful me, I cannot forgive myself that pride. The community forgives. Our clergy forgives. Our loved ones forgive. God and Jesus crucified forgive us we are too damn proud to forgive ourselves.
1: Be honest. Try that
0: for heaven. Number three, don't waste time and energy fighting conditions you cannot save. <laughs> we in AA have a little friend grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Well, it seems that science says human beings have this problem. Science says there's little, little you personally can do about stopping a war, healing the incurable disease of a loved one, or changing the nature of those with whom you live. So stop curling yourself against stone walls. You know, one of the many complex reasons for which I drank was because of a certain sensitivity I have had. Maybe some of you noticed that I'm kind of short. I suffered. I spent hours and years envying those who were tall. It wasn't funny. It was painful. As a kid, I never went through a door, but I'd jump and hang on it, hoping I'd stretch myself to be a little taller. You can laugh, but think of a young kid trying to do that to get Paul. Well, I came into AA, and they told me to accept things I couldn't say. So I kind of figured, well, that's it, McGinty. Oh, so they told me, if you keep coming to meetings, Work the program, you will be surprised how everything will work out for you. And I figured, yeah, all but that means. So I kind of accepted it. Funny thing, it even got to where I'd forget I was short months at a time. Except when I go and register at some hotel, when I got to the room, all I could see was the top of my head, the shade, the mirror's way up there. Two <laughs> little tricks I could tell plumbers <laughs> too. Well, I accept I accepted. I didn't like it. And somehow, through God's grace, I began to turn my mind from this envy and resentment of others who had height. And I began to discover that God was all God. He hadn't given me height. Through my father and mother, he's given me a pretty good mind that I've been taking for granted, I began to be grateful for the things he gave me. Gratitude is a happy I suggest to you, find the thing you can be grateful Maybe you have to wear glasses in the bottom. But you may have beautiful hair. Some of you, I noticed, ain't got so much hair. And maybe you've got good teeth. Maybe you don't have to wear glasses. Every moment, we spend feeling sorry for ourselves, resenting, envying, feeling deprived for something somebody else is a moment we could be being happy and grateful for what God gave us. This is what science says that human beings should do to escape pain and to find happiness. I'm talking about the being, sir. I accept it. I'm going to meeting. One day I went to a meeting, and a fellow who hadn't been in that group, I'd never seen him before, came back for a visit. A big tall fellow. As we were going out, one of the guys said, She doesn't you go look up? good. No, I believe he's even taller. I said, Do um, you think, uh, maybe if I keep coming to meeting, You know, the next week I went down to the meeting. We met in the 19th floor of a skyscraper in Chicago. The plane stopped about the 8th floor. A fellow got on, and I had heard my first year in AA. He had a great shock of white hair. And he stood up at a podium like this when he talked, and he seemed such a great mammoth, tall man. And I think I saw him for the first time that day. He got on, and said, hi, man. I didn't even answer. He must have thought I was nuts. I said to him, say, Clem, you're not tall, are you? He said, hell no, whoever said I was. I looked the meeting another fellow came in. He said, I'm Mac," and I said, man, you're not tall, are you? He said, hell no, I'm just fat. I had been seeing people talk. I had what the psychiatrists called a selective sensitivity me because I've accepted what I can't say, I'll admit I'm not getting any
1: taller.
0: All you people are getting shorter. So they were right. This program works, and science says it can work for you. I heard an AA tell a story
1: a couple of weeks
0: ago in Washington. A fellow felled his cross like I felt my being short was. It was too great for him to carry. He couldn't carry it any farther. So he went to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I can't carry this cross any farther. I beg you, give me a smaller cross. This is the best I can do. And he said, All right. I'll let you keep your own off. Come with me. And he took him over the hillside and down the road to Peace. There was a whole field, as far as the eye could see, planted with crosses. All crosses, little crosses. Render crosses and stout crosses. Crooked crosses and straight crosses. Crosses of all sizes and exceptions as far as the eye could see. Jesus said, go. Pick your own
1: cross. And
0: the man walked up and down every aisle and crossed and danced. And finally, way over in the middle, in a corner, far corner, he found a little cross. He said,
1: I'll take that one.
0: So Jesus said, was that the one who's been carrying all
1: the time? Except the thing
0: you cannot share. I heard somebody say
1: once,
0: that to believe in God is to say yes to life. How often we say no and make ourselves unhappy. Number five, when you find yourself in the grip of emotional stress, force yourself to be outgoing to others, instead of retreating within yourself and building a prison of love. Every alcoholic in this room knows that
1: prison of love
0: is in the most crowded far. Sober in the hearts of our families,
1: we suffered from
0: utter loneliness. Science has human beings to live, and that when they do, they should, as our 12th just tells us, not retreat, but go and find someone to help. Don't eat because you have no truth, remember the man who has no feet? Well, Number six from science: nine steps for happiness. Refuse to pity yourself or seek self-justification in easy alibis that make you appear noble to yourself or others. Think that one over. Mind you, this has nothing to do with AA. How often we human beings sit around home being misunderstood, blaming conditions in life from somebody else, because we don't want to accept our own responsibility. Science says that human beings do this, and they should avoid the easy alibi. How many of us may be telling a litany of nobility to ourselves for the years when we lived as an alcoholic, reliving its unhappiness, wallowing in self-pity, destroying the happy hour we could be having. Number seven, here is cold, analytical, secularized, non-value judgment science saying, cultivate the old-fashioned virtues of love, honor,
1: courtesy, loyalty,
0: grit, and church attention of all things. Science, old-fashioned, what is old-fashioned? The old-fashioned something's got to be old. To be old, it's got to work or it wouldn't be around.
1: got
0: to the work. Must be compatible with God's natural law for the world, or it'll go out of whack. I have sociological colleagues who say that when a thing gets old enough, it becomes sacred. They got the cart before the horse. You remember them? We used to call ourselves emancipated. I think it was William Lyon Phelps who said we weren't emancipated; we were just unbuttoned. And <laughs> so we thought all of these things were old fashions. Yet here, science says they are important to human health. Makes me think of the story they used to tell the young soldier during World War I got scared fear is something we all know in the veil of tears in the battle of life fear we, we want, want to run away not just alcoholics human beings we want this cup to pass from us so this young soldier started back He met old blackjack person
1: so he said
0: where are you going soldier he, he said I'm scared I'm going back he said, no, you're not. Listen, son, he said, I'm scared to So he said, oh, no, you're not. You've got courage. He said, son,
1: courage is just
0: you that has said you prayer. the old type of courage what you have. Number eight. Stop expecting too much of yourself. When there's too wide a gap between the standards you set for yourself and your actual achievement, unhappiness is inevitable. If you can't improve your performance, lower your standards instead. If you can't be chairman of the committee, you can still serve on it. If you can't be the center of the thing, you should be in the act. How often we do this. We go away and smoke unless we can have our way, run the show. In home, at the office, at the club. If we can't see the top. Well, every moment, sense is wrecking again. is moments you could be spending and enjoying. I heard it said that ambition is the courage to pursue the things you want whereas happiness is the surrender to enjoy the things you have. So many of us are so busy pursuing we have no time for the happiness of being. Well, you will have noticed if you hark back to our twelve steps at AA, as Carl reckons, if there's something we AAs make an awful lot of in our twelve steps for happiness that science hasn't mentioned yet. We talk about turning our minds, our wills, over to God. God is choice. Increasing our daily conscious contact with God. How do you expect science to talk about something like that? This is faith. And yet, I have one step left. And this is number nine. Find something bigger than yourself in which
1: to believe.
0: Self centered, materialistic, this worldly people score lowest on Duke University's tests for measuring happiness, while those who average high in altruism, spiritual values, and religious attitudes generally come up with the top happiness great. And there you have it. Nine steps to happiness given to you by science so that you too may have a brotherhood of a second chance. And I submit to you that it seems miraculous that science talking about human beings Should have set down nine steps, which are practically the twelve steps, alcoholic synonymous, a forgotten malady,
1: a hidden
0: patient, out of his own different experience, wrote these things down himself. I submit it is a miracle. When I was young studying Bible history we were told that God performed miracles to prove or reassure his power to men. And that he still does. You know what a miracle is? What about an old Irish lady who'd been over to the Shrine of Lourdes, and when she came back to the stop at the customs and they said to her, what have you in in? declare? She said, nothing at all. Said, what do you got in that bottle? Oh, she said, nothing at all. But a little holy water from the Shrine of Lourdes. Holy water, you say. Let me smell it. Uh-huh. Whiskey, it is. Whiskey, you say. Glory
1: be to God. This is a
0: miracle. <laughs> Well, if you look up miracle in the dictionary, it will say that a miracle is something that happens outside the expected laws of nature. It cannot be explained by the laws, physical laws of science. It can be explained only by the intervention of a divine power. Now, there are signs here in the Occident, and shines at the holy places of the audience. And so the lame, the whole, and the blind have come cut. to holy places, insured, recovered, and often the recovery is a learning to live where their illness a saying yes to life. And they have left their proof of their recovery cut to strength, Shining to the ceiling of the holy places. Well, there are alcoholics in this room. Doctors gave them up. The child was scared. Families were deceived. Communities caught their tongue. And spoilers decrepit. We know.
1: let create
0: this belief in a higher power somehow miracle happens. The next to you today in this room is a man or woman who for years could not walk without glass cut. Sitting next to you today in this room is a man or woman whose bedside you visited, and there were restraints there. They knew needles of sedation. They knew the palsy and the shape of the old and the New Testament.
1: The miracle happened. The
0: recovery came. And after you here in this room, is the, the ex of the miracle the fears they share. I admit to you, and we could build our own sign as a Leaving in the corner of this flag room today, filed with the ceiling, the glass cuts of the past, the restraint, the needles, the tears. Science wants If You came here because you have an Uncle Ken at home in a room, or a neighbor, or someone in the next apartment, or across the street, or down the other court. And every one of us has somebody where our lives touched upon their alcohol. If you came here, see what you can learn. And you'll hear us talking about this God business. You're skeptical and you wanted a scientific answer. And I give you a scientific answer. That's are scientific. And there are sitting all around, living, breathing, Happy facts are the miracle of recovery in AA, and there are two hundred thousand of them all over the world. Are you still skeptical? Then I say, you. for your own fatherhood of a second chance or ours. Do you call it superstition? We talk here, look at the facts around. From ancient days the symbols came, the signs, the amulets, the charms, the seal, the rings, and may to conjure with sheep from her. Faith in and threat of all these things is one of man's great racial quirks, but down through time, the question rings,
1: is this superstition, when it works?